How's everybody doing this afternoon? Good. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I would like, before we get started, to ask y'all just to be remembering me uh, as I preach this. Um, this sermon, um, especially in the initial opening of this sermon, um, just pray that I can... Get, uh, my hope is that I can get through it without tears. I've tried to read what I'm going to start off with about 50 times to do a little bit of... Uh, um, maybe maybe numbing the emotion. Sometimes it gets it gets exhausting standing up here in front of you guys and and uh, getting super cheerful. But it's one of those things that um, who knows as we as we begin it. Um, we're gonna be um, talking about racism tonight, um, particularly um, kind of where the church fits. We're gonna we're gonna. Think about some hard thoughts on where we've where we've missed the boat and and the kind of the current uh, culture that we're in now. Um, racism is in no way dead um, in the world. Uh, there is a great hope for us, the church, uh, and in some ways we could say that Christ killed racism on the cross, and we're seeing that hopefully playing out in us here. Um, so just pray for me specifically as I open us up in prayer for the sermon um, that God would just um, seal me that I speak nothing of my own but that I speak God's truth, God's word, God's hope to God's people so that we can be a lot in a world that is in such great need of the hope that we have in Christ. So just be in prayer for me as I open us up in prayer. Lord. I thank you for this day, for the life that you've given us. Uh, Lord, I thank you that in your wisdom you have chosen to place us here and now. That you've chosen to call us to yourself, to call us your people, Lord. I pray that as we begin this sermon, as we push through your scriptures tonight, that your Holy Spirit would continue the work that you've begun in us, that you would continue working and refining us as individuals, and that you would work and refine in us as a body of believers, as the body of Christ, uh, that we might be a light into the world, that they might look at us and see what they could never have without You. Lord, what men strive and fight for alone, they will fail in attaining. No matter what means they use. But Lord, when we stand with You, when we move in the current of the Gospel from the people of the Jews to the nations, to all nations, that we have a hope that the world does not have. Lord, And I pray that You would forgive us where we fail in that. Forgive us where we have failed in that. That Your Holy Spirit would guide us as Your people for Your glory. For worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. 
Lord. And when we hate our brothers and sisters, what does it say about the God we serve? When for so long, the most segregated place was the church. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move in the hearts of men and women so that the world might see your worth, that the world might see your value, that the world might see who you are. Lord, they will know us by our love for one another. May we love one another with a genuine love. Lord, I thank You for Christ. I thank You for the cross. I thank You for the hope that we have. I thank You for the Spirit's power working in us. I thank You that when everything looks lost, that, that You remain and You are faithful and You are working and You will not stop working. You will accomplish what You have set out to accomplish, Lord. As we dig in now, Lord, prepare our hearts Move by the power of Your Holy Spirit that we would be transformed day by day. It's in Christ's name, for Christ's glory. Amen. As I've been kind of preparing for this uh, sermon, church, um, the last few years it, it seems um, that if you, had, if you were under the false assumption that racism was dead, in our country, in the world at large, then, then, then it has been thrust on you in a way unimaginable that it is not. And I want you to know that there is hope for us. I want us to examine that hope. I want us to find firm footing in that hope. And I want us to press out into this world in that hope. I want to start this sermon off tonight. I'm going to read an excerpt from uh, a letter written by Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, when he was in jail in Birmingham, Alabama. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I would commend you, if you have not read it, to go read it. It is so worth your time. Um, the first thing that I want us to understand as we start digging into this, and it's the primary reason that I'm reading the portion that I'm going to read right now, is, that, is, is as I read this, I want us to reflect on the idea that racism is an assault on human dignity. Right? That racism is an assault on human dignity. And that, church, that should offend us deeply. To our core, because we have been made in the image of God. So to 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 make an assault on the dignity of a human being is to make an assault on the work of God Himself. So so when we deal with racism, when we think about racism, it is oftentimes easy to be polarized by politics. Now, I want to read this so that, so that we grasp and that we understand that, that racism is a very personal thing. And it cuts to the core of who we perceive ourselves to be. This is just a small part of what he says in this letter. Perhaps it is easy for those who have never felt the stinging darts, 
of segregation to say, wait, when you've seen vicious mobs lynch your mothers and fathers, and it will drown your sisters and brothers at a whim, when you've seen hate-filled policemen curse, kick, and even kill your black brothers and sisters, when you see the vast majority of your 20 million Negro brothers smothering in the airtight cage of poverty in the midst of an affluent society, when you suddenly find your tongue twisted and your speech stammering as you seek to explain to your six-year-old daughter why she can't go to the public amusement park that's been advertised on television and see tears welling up in her eyes when she's told that Funtown is closed to colored people and see ominous clouds of inferiority beginning to form in her little mental sky and see her beginning to distort her personality by developing an unconscious bitterness towards white people. When you have to concoct an answer for a five-year-old son who is asking, Daddy, why do white people treat colored people so mean? When you take a cross-country drive and find it necessary to sleep night after night in the uncomfortable corners of your automobile because no, mo no motel will accept you. When you're humili humiliated day and night by nagging signs reading white and colored, he, he says a particular phrase here, and I'm just going to pause at particular points because there's, there are words here uh, when he's speaking about names being called that I'm not going to utter here in this pulpit. Your first name becomes. Your middle name becomes. And your last name becomes. And your wife and mother are never given the respected title mistress when you're harried by day and haunted by night that the fact that you are a Negro living constantly at a tiptoe stance, never quite knowing what to expect next and are plagued with inner fears and outer resentments when you're forever fighting the degenerated sense of nobodiness. Then you'll understand why we find it difficult to wait. There comes a time when the cup of endurance runs over and men are no longer willing to be plunged into the abyss of despair. Hopes, I hope, sirs, that you can understand our legitimate and unavoidable impatience. Let us never forget, and I want to say first... If you have anything to say about that, if your first thought in that is about you and not the concern of another human being, question where you stand, please. If your first thought is about you when you hear something like this, Please, question where you stand. I want to read uh, another excerpt from this. Uh, towards the end, he addresses the church, Martin Luther King Jr., a, a pastor, a preacher of God's Word. If you read this letter, and again, I commend you to read this letter, you can tell that he is very eloquent, well acquainted with Scriptures. And has a love for the church. And concerning the church, 
He says this, There was a time when the church was very powerful. In the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. Whenever the early Christians entered a town, the people in power became disturbed and immediately sought to convict the Christians for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But the Christians pressed on in the conviction that they were a colony of heaven called to obey God rather than man. Small in number, they were big in commitment. They were too God-intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. By their effort and example, they brought to end such ancient evils as infanticide and gladiatorial contests. Things are different now. So often the contemporary church is weak in effect so often the contemporary church is weak in effectual voice with an uncertain sound. So often it is an arch defender of the status quo, far from being disturbed by the presence of the church. The power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's silence and often even vocal sanctions of things that things as they are. But the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. Every day I meet young people whose disappointment with the church has turned into outright disgust. And as I consider his thoughts... His lament over the church and its silence towards injustice. And I see what he says there at the end. I think, was this prophetic? Was this not a prophetic word here? Have we not become this? When, when we look... When we look around us, and I would ask my white brothers and sisters, are we a white church? And I would ask my black brothers and sisters, are we a white church? Or are we the church of the living King of Kings? What do we consider ourselves? How do we look at ourselves? And I, I want tonight... I do not, if we're convicted in any way, let us be convicted. And let us repent where repentance is needed. But I want to say to you all that we have a chance now to shine. We do, church. Let us not miss this opportunity to let His worth be known. And we're going to look tonight, starting in Revelation chapter 5, and then stepping back and looking at a couple of other passages. So, as y'all have known, I spoke of this the last time that I was here. The last year or so, I've been looking at kind of getting my bearings on where I stand as far as the major eschatological views of the end, that is what the end looks like. 
the end times. What does the Bible say about where we, as the people of God, finish? And specifically, how that directs us to live our lives today. And I want us to, to, to stick with that thought. How does our view of the end direct how we, as a church, move towards that end? So we're going to be in Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying... Now, let us stop here and let us examine who sang. Well, you're like, well, read on, Landon, right? Read on. Let us notice that it says they here. Let's ask ourselves... Who is the they that's being spoken of here? And then the next it says, so, And they sang a new song, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. So again, ask the question, Who is the you that's being spoken of here? Who's the they and who is the you? They are the saints of all nations, all tribes, all peoples, all tongues. And they are singing... In disunity? Is the, is the, are, they, are, are one grouped over in one side and another grouped over in another side? Or do they sing here together? These are questions as we dig into this, as we press into this, I want us to be considering because this is the hope that we look forward to. So a proper understanding of this could drive us to repentance now if this is not the hope for which we hope for. And a passion now if it is. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and your blood ransomed people from God, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on earth. What is the primary, what is the primary purpose of this text? What is the primary purpose of this text? Who is the primary purpose of this text? Christ is the point of it all. And his, is He not worthy of the work for which He has done? Is He not worthy of it? So if you have a hatred for a brother or sister who does not look like you, not only is their dignity in question, but your desire for the praises of God are in question. Because His desire is for the nations. When Jesus was resurrected from the dead, they did not say to Him, Wow, look how white you are now. He was raised a Jew. He was raised a Jew. When you are raised, you will look like you. You will be who He's made you to be minus all the downfalls of sin. I am proud 
that he has made me white. And I am proud that he has made you black, sister. And so should you. We should love what he is doing. And for me to love what he is doing in me, in no way degrades what he is doing in others. Because me standing there alone, looking, speaking, sounding like me, is not enough for him. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Every tribe, every tongue, and it's not just for their sakes. We get swept up in this beautiful thing that is God deserving His praises. And He will have His praises from all people. This is the hope that we have. So when we stand here today and we look out at the world and we see with our eyes all the trials, all the struggles, all the difficulties, we as the people of God have a hope that He will ransom and make us love it, the people of the nations. Where, tell me where, then is there the place for racism in the church? Where? And this is the problem. Because to be, here's the thing. We are in many ways a special place here, church. And I pray, I pray that any people from any nation could come and sit within our pews and feel welcomed by us. But the reality is, is for many years, in many ways, the church has failed to display the glory of God in the diversity that God has set forth. No more. Do you not see? And this is why this is such a big deal for us today. We are less than 50 miles from what was at one point in history considered to be the most segregated place in America. And if you read this letter from Martin Luther King, like you can see the exhaustion in his words. You can see how him dying just a few years older than I am myself would have been exhausted at the effort. And I'm, if he was standing right here before me, I would be like, brother, ain't it a good thing? Ain't it a good thing that the Spirit moves? So that one can fall and 10,000 rise up in its place. Because when the Spirit of God moves in the heart of men, you do not, you do not get in its way. So that a generation or two later, what, what, what was a dream for him, I pray, is a reality for Layla. That she will not know a day that she attended a church. That she did not feel welcome. 
that she did not feel loved, and that she did not feel like everybody was just like her. Because the reality is, is our differences, and there are differences. Those are not negative things, right? We are all different. We are all made by Him for His glory. And it is in our differences that we see more and more the beauty of our Creator. So we're different. And I love that we're different. And we have a hope, church. Get this. Get this. Like... We find in Scripture places where, where one generation can change the tide of everything. Whether it be for good or for evil. And we seem to sit hopeless in the current of the reality that seems to be sweeping around us. Instead of hopeful that we can be that change in the world. When they see our love for one another, do you want practical outplaying of the gospel for the world today? How do we make it practical, Landon? Love each other. For real. For real. And I'm not talking about we come together, we gather on Sundays, we gather on Wednesdays, we leave and we know nothing about each other's lives. I mean we love each other. Do you miss me when I'm gone? Do I miss you when you're gone? If God called you to another church, would it tear at my soul that I might not see you as often? Does what we do in these walls look like love or ceremony? Does it look like love or a social club? Worthy, they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain. And How does this happen? This hope that we, that we hope to see just flood into the world. Is it, is it by our efforts? Is it by our blood? Is it by our sweat? Is it by our tears? Or is it by His power? Is it by His blood? He was slain. He deserves glory. His blood ransomed. He deserves glory. He made them a kingdom. He deserves glory. And for whatever reason, He has seen fit that we shall reign. Not just white people, not just black people, not just Asian people. We. We. What a beautiful hope it is. What a beautiful hope it is. Let's be real that we're not there yet. There's work to be done. There's work to be done in me. There's work to be done in you. There's work to be done in the church at large. But the hope that we have, that we stand in, even if it's you, if you are the one that resists, and I don't think that anyone here does, but if you were, 
and you were a follower of Christ, there is hope for you because His gospel, His Spirit shatters lives. It shatters hearts. It convicts. This is His work. Worthy are you. You were slain. Do you see this? That the, that the primary means by which this flows out is from the blood of Christ. Your blood ransomed. Your blood is ransoming? When he speaks this, how is he speaking? It's done. Your blood ransomed. It's done. How much more of a confident hope can we have than for him to say that, it, that the ransom is over? It is done. So that when I say this, when I say that there will be a day that there will be no people group on earth that the gospel has not reached. And that there will be no one in the church who does not love the other as a brother. That I can say that without question. Because it's not going to be by my effort. It's not going to be by the eloquent words of Martin Luther King. It's going to be by the blood of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's done. That's the hope that we stand in. And you have made them a kingdom. What? Think how great that is, church. We are the kingdom of God, the people of God. And we, it says, they shall reign on earth. Is this hope? Is this hope for racial reconciliation one that's only for the next life? No, it is not. No, it is not. We should expect it here. We should work for it here. And we don't work in some vain and empty way. I don't stand up here and preach these kind of things in some vain and empty way. I know that Christ is moving. The Spirit is moving. It is in this hope that we work. So I want us, as brothers and sisters in Christ, to have a firm stance in the hope that is a reality in Christ. And I want us to ask, because surely I don't have enough time here to go over every single possible practical way that this could outplay in us as, as the people of God in the world today. That would require a sermon series after sermon series to, to even touch the surface of it. But, but that's not to say that there's not at least a few things that we can take away from God's Word tonight that can help get the... The thoughts in our mind moving can, can, can start setting us and helping us be intentional in the way that we live our lives. I want us to look for one of these ways in John chapter 13, verse 34. And this is a critical passage of text. If you want what, what on first reading can seem simple, but I ask if it's so simple, why does it seem like it's so neglected a thing. So, John chapter 13, verse 34, this is Christ speaking a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. 
So as we consider this, what kind of love are we to have towards one another, church? What kind, like, a, like a, I love you, but kind of not really. Like if you, if you say the wrong thing, if we get into one of those awkward things where I say something that I shouldn't say, is that it? Is it done? Are we passed? Are you going to be angry at me forever now? Is that the kind of love that we're talking about? An easy to offend love. Is that the love that we're called to have for one another? We're called to have a love that would lay down your life for one another. Do you get that? Do you? And this is what the church should be. This is why the church was so effective when, when it was so young and it didn't have all the luxuries that we have now. You needed people that stuck by one another. That prayed for one another. That had one another's back. No matter what you look like. No matter where you came from. Because we are one another's people. Do you understand that? Look around you. Are you a follower of Christ? Look around you if you are. Look at everyone here. Followers of Christ. Can I get a raising of hands? Are you a follower of Christ? You are family. Not will one day be. You are in this moment family. And family gives up everything for one another. Family doesn't look at you in your distress and then say, yeah, they just need to get out of that themselves. Struggle with that a little bit. You'll figure it out. What kind of family would that be? Christ said that the world would know us by our love for one another. Is it, is it any surprise then that as the church's love for brothers and sisters in Christ has waned, so too has the effectiveness of the church and the culture for which we live. Is it any surprise to us? Love one another. Paul in Romans chapter 12 speaks more to this. Chapter 12 verse 9 let love be genuine. So how can we look different to a world that if you look different in skin color, in even among skin colors, the, the darkness or lightness of your skin color, how... This is the thing. It should be easy for us, church. Do you get that? It should be easy for us when white hates black and they look at us and they're like, how they get along so well? Ain't they so different? Don't they come from different places? Don't they have different hobbies? Don't they love different music? How do they get along so well? Landon. 
Dustin, you and I have had this conversation that, that not too long after Brenda started visiting our church, a friend of Dustin's, who knew that you were coming to church here, he was a black man, and he said, I thought y'all were a white church. <laughs> true, true. Here's the reality, though. If that's the bar that has been set, cannot we as brothers and sisters in Christ blow their minds? That's what we do, sister. That's what we do. They should look at us and say the only way in this world that they do that is if there's something supernatural involved in it. So when the world says, how do we fix it? And they go about it with hatred and anger. And they can look at the church and say, you were once like me. What's the difference now? And we say, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the Lamb. This is the point of the nations so that we together can give Him glory, church. Is He not worthy of that? Two seconds. Two seconds on Facebook and hatred goes viral. Extremism goes viral. To quote Martin Luther King again, could we not be extremists for love? What about it? What about it? What change can we make in the culture around us, church? Let's go back and continue reading there in Romans. Let love be genuine. So number one practical point, love one another. With a genuine love, we can tell the difference, church. We can tell the difference in two seconds between a love that is self-seeking and a love that is genuine. You know it's true. Love one another genuinely. Abhor what is evil. Hate what is evil. And do not stand silent about it. Do you hear me? We can call evil, evil. You can quote the Bible to me all you want about not judging. It is He who has judged the world and condemned it. We are the hope that He's left here to preach the Gospel to them. We cannot do that by overlooking the evil around us. Hold fast, he says, hold fast to what is good. So hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Again, this love thing. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. When I think about what Martin Luther King said in that excerpt that I read, and I think about how degraded that type of living must be. And then I read this passage of text. I think to myself, how few must the true preachers have been in that generation? 
or they were reading some other Bible. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo. That means if you're trying to make me look good, I'm trying to do better to make you look good. Does that sound anything at all like racism to you? This is what the church should look like. Do you get this? This is what we must strive for. A people who love genuinely, who hate evil, who hold fast to what is good, who love each other with brotherly affection, and who strive to outdo one another in showing honor. Not using every excuse that we can when we're not around them to downgrade them or to belittle them, but to outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. What does that mean? What does it mean to not be slothful in zeal? Like, like when we're living this life, this is not a life that weighs on you to make you bummed out all the time. Right? When we live this life, that zeal is passion. We're passionate people. Fervent in what? Our own desires? Our own hopes? Or, or what does the Scripture say? Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And then, verse 12, rejoice in hope. Rejoice in hope, church. What hope do we rest in? We hope in a hope that overcomes the grave. We hope in a hope that seems so outlandish that me to stand up here and say that I believe that we could do it in our generation would leave 10,000 men and women calling me a fool. But we can hope and we can press in. So we rejoice in hope. Be patient. Oh man, how, how often times... How oftentimes we find ourselves wanting it faster than the providence and wisdom of God would have it. I, w I want us to understand this. As we rejoice in hope, as we see this evil around us, the hope that we have is in a Savior that redeems. And when we look and we see injustices, we should not sit idly by. But if we die and are laid in the grave, that hope doesn't end with us there. Right? It's not a great speaker that's going to cause this reality. It's not a good preacher that's going to bring this about. Do you get that? That our hopes are not in what the world would look at and see as a hope. Right? And that in that, that means we must be patient for the workings of God. And at times we may struggle in that. We should always press 
for and, and, and strive after leaving the unrighteousness that we see in this world. We should go headlong into the grave having given everything that we can in this life. And in us looking around and even if I fall headlong in the grave and it seems as though nothing has happened, I can rest patiently in death because my hope was never in me. Our hope is not in our own working. It's not in a great preacher to come. It's not in a great revival to come. Church, love one another genuinely. And when we look at one another on that day, when you recognize me raised from the dead, and we see gathered around us a host of brothers and sisters from every people, every tribe, every tongue. On that day, we won't find it hard to sing together. In that moment when that hope is reality, we will not find it hard. As we live, we press on and work. We hope in Christ. And there is no dream too big for us. There is no dream too big for us. He has made us a kingdom, a people for Him. How great of news is that? Love one another. Continue in your love for one another that the world may see our love for one another and want it. They want it. They just don't know how to find it. Tell them when they look at us and they see something different, let them know what that difference is. On that day, we do not sing out about our great things. We sing, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. And He is worthy, church. Let us pray. Lord, I thank You for this day. I thank You for the opportunity to stand here and to preach Your Word to Your church. What a great responsibility. What a weighty thing that it is. Uh, Lord, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would uh, move in our hearts, move in our minds, move in our passions and in our desires that as we go out into this world, Lord, that we go out first together, that we go out in love, genuine love one for another, that we go out into this world and they see it and we tell them. Bring others in, Lord. Use us. Use us to bring them in. It's in Christ's name, for His glory, for He is worthy. Amen.